Hi, everybody. This is Kimberly. And this is Katie. And this is A Date with Dateline. This episode is a repeat, but it was new to Katie. And it is called The Charleston Affair. It first aired in September of 2014, season 23, episode 52, hosted by Keith Morrison, who does some epic leaning in this episode. He He does. He leaned his way across Charleston. He did. Yeah. He just needs to do like a nationwide tour of leaning. Yeah. And leather jackets. And leather jackets. So I like the title of The Charleston Affair because I think it sounds like an Agatha Christie novel. Oh, it does. Yeah. This started out so lovely, even in the dark. That's how Keith describes Charleston, except at the wrong end of America Street. It's just a really poetic, the wrong end. I feel like that's our whole country is on the wrong end of America Street right now. (laughs) uh, That's that's a great euphemism. Um, the, The one part of the opening that I actually wrote down that I liked was the moneyed elite of this storied city prepared to tuck securely into their beds. Wow. I liked that. Because yes. I, I forget, I think Charleston is one of those southern fancy cities. It is, right? It is. And also moneyed is a great adjective that you don't really hear so very good. often. Yes. And storied. Storied yes. city. Moneyed <laughs> and great. storied. So we start in 2013 with Officer Wilson, who sees a car in the seedy part of town that the moneyed elite don't know anything about and would be horrified if they knew what was going on. He sees this car sitting in the intersection, and then it starts to drive away, and it's kind of evading a little bit, and they pull the guy over. His name is Aaron Wilkerson. He's important to the story. He talks a little bit like he's just had a stroke, but I think that's because he's done a lot of drugs, right? And so I don't want to make fun. Is it a drug? It's a drug thing, right? It's the kind of drug. I think it's heroin. That makes your mouth talk like that? Out of the side of his mouth, like he's chewing one side of his mouth the whole time. Yeah, it also could be a teeth thing. I mean, all those drugs just... They That's were, true. ...can rot the teeth right out of your mouth. Yes. It's, yeah, it's sad. But I did like Aaron. He's our heroine of the week. And I, uh, Sorry. <laughs> he's, he's our hero that is on heroin of the week. Should have clarified. So he is jonesing for some heroin, and he's out of town. He's in Charleston. He's not from here. So what does he do? He pulls out his phone and uses Google Maps. Google apparently can solve your problems and has everything. And this is why Bing just can't compete. Bing and Yahoo need to get on the heroin train because you know you're not finding that stuff on there. Were you not shocked? I was was really surprised. Yes. When he says, I just just pulled out this Google app and and typed in literally where to find heroin. And it worked. Like, I thought I would be mocking him going, oh, nice try, Aaron. No, it gave him several suggestions. Probably Yelp reviewed heroin houses. It was helpful to him. Also, did you find it a little ironic that Google search is, where do I find heroin? On America Street. (laughs) Of course you do. Of course you do. (laughs) So, Wilson pulls them over officer wilson the guy is covered with tats and there's a wife in the car we don't hear too much from the wife but aaron apparently according to keith lied to the cop lied like a sidewalk people on twitter loved that line i feel like i've heard keith use it before so i wasn't as impressed but it's very keith to use that phrase so somehow aaron has motor mouth and heroin mouth i guess he lets it slip that he was a felon 
for forgeries to get more heroin. And lets it slip that he is driving on a suspended license. And lets the officer check his car and says there's not going to be anything in there except there's a loaded weapon. So Aaron, why why he didn't just say no, don't, there's no, I don't know. He lied about certain things and was really brutally honest about other things. I think that the because he had a suspended license, the cop could search his car with or without his consent. But you do think you would be like, just to let you know, I do have a loaded revolver. Exactly. That is in the my steering, point. In the steering yeah. column. It's yes. cool. But I am surprised at this point that you have not mentioned that there was also a dog in the car. Well, I never saw the dog until the police station. It's the wife and the dog in the car. Do they see? Do you see the dog? Or no, me- they, they don't say mention it. the dog. Oh, okay, I didn't catch that. Okay, so he kind of breaks down at this point. He knows he's in trouble, but he's also very emotional and super jonesing for heroin. Mm-hmm. And Aaron tells Officer Wilson that he needs to talk to him. And Officer Wilson's like, okay, yeah, tell me a story. I don't have time for this. And he's begging him, I need to talk to you. And Officer Wilson's like, fine, tell me a tale. So Aaron tells him he needs to talk to him about a murder. Murder. At this point, the wife also breaks down. She's crying, saying, we're not allowed to talk about that. We're not supposed to talk about that. And now Officer Wilson is very, his interest is very piqued. So he takes them to the station. It is about a murder that hasn't happened yet, although Keith tells us it was due. Oh, yes, it was due any day now. So at the station, Aaron is super jonesing for heroin, but he's begging the cops to believe him because it's a really important family. It is the Latham family that are involved in this apparently murder for hire that Aaron has been paid to do. Chris Latham is the highest paid banker in Charleston. He works for Bank of America. We meet him right away. The first thing out of his mouth is so very unlikable. So unlikable. I couldn't believe it. So 1%. It's like 0.05%. It's not even, it's less than a 1% comment because it's just ludicrous. He says, people of wealth have so many challenges today, more so than ever before. And the biggest travesty of this episode is that we don't get a reaction shot from Keith. Because I know that his eyebrows raised so far that they literally flew off his head. (laughs) People on Twitter did not like Chris for this comment. Already, no for Chris. And also, you know Dateline knows this. You know Dateline is going to put this in from the get-go and be like, you're not going to like this guy out of the gate. You're just not going to like him. He is not a likable gentleman. No. His wife, Nancy is a real estate agent and a trusted member of the South Carolina Lottery Commission, whatever that means, but it's fancy. And they are like the bell and prince of Charleston. Yes. They host fancy parties and they schmooze. They went out on a blind date and that's how they met years ago. They now have two children that are, one's a teenager, one's in college. They went to an Applebee's on their first date because romance not dead. (laughs) They had this electric connection. She has this brazen sense of humor and he has none. So apparently they really clicked. Keith interviews their friend Nancy and he's leaning against this marble kitchen counter, which is a good lean for him. And Kathy. Kathy, the friend. Kathy, friend Kathy. Yeah. Yeah. That Kathy talks about how Nancy and Chris 
rose up on the food chain of Bank of America and of high society in Charleston. They are debutantes. And Nancy's job was like a PR person, like to pep up these parties so people would go home and want to invest because they had such a good time. And she tells Keith, I'm pepping it up. Don't you feel enthused already? And she's a little sarcastic. I like I like that. A lot of people on Twitter, they thought she was flirting with Keith. She Well, she definitely was flirting with Keith. They did not appreciate that. Nancy fights off breast cancer, which is great. She loses her hair and goes through chemo and all of that. And during that time, he had been traveling a lot. And this the marriage had become a little strained. And she said during her last after her last chemo treatment, she's exhausted. And he comes home and asks, what's for dinner? And she said, I'm exhausted. And he said, well, we have to eat dinner. So... And then he developed a deviated septum, which I am not buying, and offered to sleep in another room because he knew he would be snoring a lot. And she thought, oh, that's kind of nice. But no, it was more than a deviated septum. As Keith says, it was secrets broiling somewhere out of sight. Suspicion metastasized into searing jealousy. And can I just say the imagery is pretty good. There's a lot of cooking, there's broiling, and there's searing. He could have said seething, but searing and the broiling was like, oh, I'm hungry now. And that's that was good. It was a nice tie-in. Metastasized is a cancer term. Right, exactly. Very smart. I caught that too. I liked it. It was good. I do want to interject one thing that, that when he decided to move to the guest room to not bother her, it was after 25, 23 years. They've been married for 23 years. And he's like, I'm going to the guest room. That must really hurt. I don't like that. Okay, so sorry. Keep going. One day, he's there at the lake and he says, I don't want to be married anymore. He thinks that she's cheating on him. He says he's found six years worth of emails that prove infidelity on her part. And he says, why would you do this? And he says that she said, I'm a narcissist. I need the attention. Now, we've seen her sense of humor, and I can totally hear her saying something like that. Uh But she says that these emails were all from a professional colleague and that there was no affair. Keith asked her, this is the comment, I'll do it to you. I'll be Keith. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me make sure I have it. (laughs) We're going to do a reenactment. Yeah. I didn't write down exactly what she said. Then I'll be her. You be Keith. And ask me if I'm having an affair. And were you having an affair? No. Are you offering? Yeah. (laughs) And then she says. That's the comment. That's the comment that that was was heard around the world. (laughs) That was it, right? You lived your life before you heard the comment and then after you heard the comment and there's no going back. That's it. She says, no, are you offering? And then says, oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Ha ha ha. I was kind of on her side because I put my foot in my mouth, not literally, but literally every day. I don't literally put my foot in my mouth, but literally every day I metaphorically put my foot in my mouth. And she does it all the time, too. You can tell because she has no filter. The weird thing is, is that Keith doesn't react. He just sort of plays it off and moves on to the next question. Immediate. Did you see that? He is not having the charming banter at all. He doesn't double take. He just says, no. well, this was, a, a, you know, a theory that you were cheating. He just continues as if it's a totally normal conversation. He doesn't give her the satisfaction of being shocked by it. Or they cut away. 
or he laughed really hard or like did a spit take or something happened that he was <laughs> and surprised then they came back to it. and Dateline cuts it. And then we go back to him and he asks the next question. I thought about well, that too. It makes it look like her joke just died. It did. It, it, did. it was it totally harsh, like harsh, no reaction from Keith. So she decides to sniff around because she said he's accusing me of having an affair. I think now I think he's having an affair. So she hires a PI. She finds out that he was texting someone all night from the guest bedroom. He goes on a business trip and there's a lady with him. So they file for a divorce and it becomes like a soap opera, like full on War of the Roses. Very contentious. Hatred bloomed like a noxious weed. So. Oh, We're using it, a lot of million-dollar words here. Yeah, we are. <laughs> it was it was causing in legal fees six hundred thousand dollars. That's insane. But that's for crazy. them, that's one year's salary for him, pretty much. I know. That's what I was gonna say. I, when we find out at the end that he makes six hundred and fifty thousand yeah. a year, I had to rewind it because I was like, he makes what? So the alimony that Nancy is asking Chris for is 7500 a month, which, holy crap. And to her, she thinks it's just a drop in the bucket for him, which is true, it is. But that's a whole lot of money. But she has been accustomed to a certain lifestyle. She has a job of her own, though. I didn't She's... think it was that much. I really didn't. For as much money for as... as he makes. Yeah. Right. That's not, you know what I'm saying? She can ask. Right. I think she can ask for a lot more. But yes. there's a clause in South Carolina that if he can prove that she cheated. Now, is this like a sexist thing? Like uh, the women are not allowed to cheat, but the men are that. allowed to cheat? No. Like a Southern standards, double standards type thing? There's... I don't think anyone's allowed. Okay. So if she, he can prove that she cheated, he doesn't have to pay her any alimony. And he has... 9,000 phone calls with her paramour, as he puts it, because Chris is a super (laughs) Southern gentleman. The proceedings are set for April 8th, and we're back at the station. Aaron is so sick with withdrawal. It's very sad. The policewoman's like, can I get you anything? And he's like, just another body. Like, he's dying from this heroin withdrawal. It's very sad. But he knows that there is a murder plot awry and something could happen if he doesn't speak up. So he powers through it. Next time I'm like kind of have a cold and I'm not feeling well, I'm going to be like Aaron powered through his withdrawal to tell them about the murder plot. I can get off the couch and let my dog out. That's what I'm, I'm going to think of Aaron. So it all began in Aaron's story with a friendship and not a good one. He was friends with this guy named Sam Endowine, and they were in prison when they met. Sam was there for arson. Aaron was there for probably the forgeries that he used to get heroin. And he becomes Sam's little lackey after prison. They start to do these crimes together, and he's his little buddy. Sam one day asks Aaron to drive to Nashville with him for drugs. So they get on this road trip, fun buddy road trip, and a couple hours into drive, Sam says... Actually, we're not going to Nashville. We're going to Charleston. And actually, we're not going to score some drugs. We're going to kill this person for money. And we're going for murder. We're going for murder. So <laughs> he had a really hard time standing up to Sam. 
he was terrified of Sam, basically. Sam looks scary. Sam is scary. And Sam was in jail for arson. I should also mention killed somebody. So he is. Uh, oh, yeah. That's ha- already great. murdered someone. We'll get to that. So Aaron doesn't know what Sam is capable of. So he just wants to go along with it. So Sam gives Aaron some money just to go with him on the trip. And Aaron goes to the bank to deposit it, which made me laugh so hard because he's such a responsible heroin addict. He's like, I need to let my interest build up on this, so I better put it in the bank before I take it out to use drugs. Then they go to the beach and they rendezvous with this beautiful blonde who gives them a manila envelope and says to them that this murder has to happen by the 8th, which is the upcoming Monday. Aaron panics because he thinks he already knows too much and Sam will easily kill him and his wife, Bethany, if he tries to back out. But he gets a break. They go back to the motel room and Sam gets a call from his crazy girlfriend who is like screaming and accusing him of cheating. And Sam slams down the phone and like leaves. He drives back to he drives them back to Louisville. So Aaron's like, sweet, we don't have to worry about this. This whole thing's going to blow over. But it doesn't. It lasts for two hours because later in the day, Sam comes back to him and is like, I dealt with my crazy girlfriend. Now we got to get the murder plot back on. Aaron somehow decides that the best way to protect him and Bethany from Sam's wrath for backing out of this murder plan or knowing too much about the murder plan is to volunteer to do it himself, which makes literally no sense to me. No, but I think that it's he wants to take care of it because then maybe he can just miss the deadline. He's trying to mess it up. He's trying to basically buy time and then maybe he can say, oh, man, I was asleep or whatever because he is a drug addict. He can be like, I slept through the deadline, whatever. He thinks that he won't be maybe as mad at him if he just kind of flubs it. It still makes no sense to me because... Sam would still be pissed that he wouldn't get his money for completing the deal. Yeah, it's not a great plan. If he messed up. And even Keith, who is now leaning against this crappy wood wall, admits that it was a lame idea. He's like in the bad part of town leaning. And he says, it was a lame idea. Why do they have him leaning on the most dangerous corner? (laughs) He should be, Keith should be nowhere near America Street. And Keith is, looks like Keith might be on America Street. It is the intersection of America Street and Drug Avenue. Keith, we need, he is precious. He is America's sweetheart. He is, he is a national treasure. Get him out of that crack den, please. Yeah. Also, he could have gotten a splinter because that wall looked really rough that he was leaning up of. And I don't want him to be harmed in any way. Get him out. Yes. Yeah. So Aaron thinks he's going to wait for the deadline to pass. But the jonesing happens. He is just going to wait for this deadline, but he starts to get heroin jonesy. So they're at the police station, and there is now, now I really notice the crying puppy. Because why would this crying puppy is like in a cage? And I didn't know you could bring your pets to an interrogation. I like to be able to bring my dog places with me. I want to, maybe I'll get arrested and I get more time with Griffey. Oh, the dog's name is Rusty, by the way, that they let Rusty in the interview room with Bethany. I thought that was nice. I think they're being, I think they're being nice to her by letting the dog be in there with her. Did they say that the dog's name was Rusty? Yeah. How did I miss that? Rusty the dog. I don't, I don't know why you missed that the dog was in the car when they got pulled over. You missed all the stuff that I figured you'd be on it. I, I feel like I'm watching an edited version or something. They just cut out the dog. 
No, his name is Rusty. I didn't hear that. It's not my favorite name for a dog. But the dog seems very cute. I just don't love the name Rusty. Why? Because it's the name of the kid from National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Oh, yeah. And then when they go to Europe, he's really creepy in the European vacation because he just wants to see boobs everywhere he goes. Yeah, I remember. And that's what I think about when I think of Rusty. So here's a bigger issue for Aaron and Bethany is they have now crossed state lines with this weapon. And so now it's a federal crime. So they bring in the federal agents of alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. And their names are Boykin and Callahan. They actually believe him, too. Props to all the cops who, like, believe his story. They take him back to this motel where he was at with Sam, and he shows them this hit package, which is the manila envelope that the blonde on the beach gave to them. It makes clear inside that the victim is Nancy Callahan. Callahan? Oh, Latham. Callahan's the cop. Terribly sorry. So it includes her age, her car, details, where she drives, how to get into the house around the security gate, Keith is fascinated. He asks a million questions. Where was it? What did it look like? Was it in that drawer? Can I see it? He has never seen a hit package before, which I found hard to believe. Because I just, I feel like he has. And also, what a sheltered life you've led, Keith, that you haven't seen a hit package. We've all seen like two or three at least. I thought that they took him to that hotel room and he didn't know exactly what to say. He, <laughs> How many questions can you ask? You're in sort of a dingy <laughs> hotel room. It's one room. What are you going to ask besides... Where was it? Oh, in that drawer? There's only one drawer. <laughs> it's a drawer. It's the nightstand drawer. That's There's not a lot of options. It wasn't in the toilet. I did it was, feel like you know. he was milking the time. He was like, what What did the room look like? Oh, there was drug paraphernalia around. Show me where. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and just Keith in a motel room is funny to me. He is now outside of the hotel room, leaning on the motel railing, which I think is a really <laughs> good look for him. It's good. <laughs> Because there's like a courtyard behind him. And then Aaron is freaking out because he's like, time is passing. Time is passing. Sam is going to wonder where I am and why I haven't done this hit yet. I have to call him. So the agents set him up on a phone call to call Sam, who they start calling Sammy, the agents. And it really pissed me off. It made me feel overly protective of Sam. You don't know Sam. Since when are you and Sam best friends that you're going to start calling him Sammy Callahan? I'm going to start calling you Callie or Hanny or something because you don't know Sammy. So Aaron calls Sam on the phone and it's like, what's up, boy? And Sam's like, where are you at, young man? And I was like, oh, oh yeah. they're friends. Like, we should use cute little terms of endearment for each other when we call each no. other. Can no, we? I didn't like it. I what's don't like up, it. peaches? Nothing pumpkin. Like, we could talk to each other like that. Little, little, no. little girl, little one. No, it's weird. No. No? Okay. They're, they're, they're like that. Where are you at, young man? They're very cute friends, except one is in constant fear that the other one will murder them. So, <laughs> the friendship's slight, like, slightly different than ours, but the level of intimacy <laughs> is really cute. So, Aaron says... He's going to make it work, meaning the hit plan. He's been watching Nancy, and she's with a daughter's friend. Can I pop her with them in the car? And Sam is like, sure, I don't care. I don't give a F if you do it. And then Aaron's like, do you want me to pitch the pistol there or bring it back? And Sam is like, yeah, oh, maybe no. Shouldn't they have thought out these details ahead of time? 
where they were going to... I am better prepared and have a better game plan when I go to the grocery store than these two are for pulling off this hit. They literally have no plan for when they're going to do it or what they're going to do with the gun after, which is kind of an important part of the plan. So it's the day of the supposed hit. Nancy is in the bathtub and there's a knock at the door and it's two policemen. Is it normal for women to take a bath at 8 a.m.? Or is that a rich women of leisure type thing? I think women of leisure can take a bath anytime they want. Yes, right? Because I think only normal women would take a bath at night, maybe. I think of it as a nighttime thing, but maybe she's just a bath lady. So she only takes baths. So when she's getting clean, it's bath time. That could be. So the daughter says there are two cops at the door, but they said don't worry. And she says, well, if there's two cops at the door, it's not good. And it's like, mom, is now the time to be sarcastic? And the daughter, I feel like, is not having it and, like, rolls her eyes. Like, mom, get your ass out of the tub. Like, we don't have time for your quips right now. So they tell, ma'am, there's been a hit taken out on you. And she thinks they're joking. Keith finds it uh, amusing that she didn't believe them. They tell I feel her, like she believed them. I think she totally believed them and she's making light of it now. Yeah, exactly. Because the daughter says she was oh, eavesdropping and hears her mom crying. I know. I caught that, too. Did you get the part that she says that she put on her big, heavy marshmallow robe? Yes, I did. (laughs) Because I wanted one. I was like, where do I buy that? What's that look like? Give me one. I think it's just terry cloth, right? Or like, but really thick. Like the kind you get at a fancy hotel, maybe? It sounds great. Yeah. Like living on a marshmallow cloud. That's, yeah. But again, rich people have problems these days. Now more than ever. So don't let the marshmallow robe fool you. So the daughter, Madison, and Nancy pack a bag, and they get them out of the house. They tell her, don't make a call, but Keith slyly says, of course she did. Because she's a rebel? (laughs) What's the best friend? Kathy. Yes, she's totally a rebel. So what's the friends at Kathy? So she calls her friend Kathy. Kathy. Kathy comes and picks up Madison. Oh, no. Kathy gets her gun and then goes to pick up Madison. Very important. Southern women. We are still in Charleston. Yes. These people are rich, but absolutely she grabs her gun before picking up Madison at the police station. Yes. Because the police don't have their own guns. So she needs her gun just (laughs) in case. She was locked and loaded. She's like, I'm ready, girl. I got my gun. You need me, honey? We're best friends. I'm getting my gun and I'm going to go pick up your daughter. That's fine. She's a good friend. Side note, when I told my mom, I said, you know, maybe someday Kimberly and I will find our own case and we'll go out and do some research on a cold case or something of that nature. And my mom immediately says, well, I hope you get a a concealed carry permit or whatever it's called. It was her first comment. And and I almost hung up the phone. I was like, well, that's not going to happen. She's like, well, then Kimberly needs to get one. Yeah. Can you see me with a gun? I was like, well, Kimberly will definitely shoot me. Yes. Like, I'll die. That'll yes. be the end of that on accident. Yes. There will be a shooting. Yes, I will. My so. gun will misfire or be jammed. And I'll be like, ugh, I can never work technology. And then I'm playing around with it and it will go off. It'll shoot you in the foot or something. Yeah. Or in the brain. I'm just saying it's not. It, but I thought it was ridiculous. So the, we go meet the other daughter, Emily, who's at college. And I'm super jealous of Emily because Sorry. I just. Why are you jealous of her? Well, I just she... felt like there was all this fun drama surrounding her. All the cops show up at her dorm room and they have to oh. whisk her away <laughs> because her life might be in danger. It just seems so exciting. 
But then it's a little sad because the school says that she's kind of a danger to all the other students, apparently. And they make her leave school for the whole rest of the year. She was a threat. She, she was, was a threat on campus. Yeah. But I was like, oh, I had to miss a year of school and I got to be involved in all this tabloid drama. I think it yeah. kind of would be exciting. Everyone would be like, oh, my gosh, what's happening with Kimberly? There was a hit out on her mom and she has to be under witness protection. It's very it exciting. It would be in the newsletter for the dorm room. If there was like a dorm room newsletter, <laughs> it would be on the front page. I have weird issues, I think. Can we talk really quick about now the safe house that the whole family is living in which is also Kathy's house which is a mansion so I don't feel like that's the safest safe house if you're putting out a hit on someone if someone if Oliver puts a hit out on me the second place they're going to look is your apartment right so why in the world is that the safe house why aren't they you know in a weird hotel somewhere not to mention they said that the hit package included Names of her friends, places right. she went. So probably had her address in the hit package. Yeah. I, I watched that show where they're trying to evade the police. They're trying to go off the grid for 60 days and evade the police. And they all either stayed at an enemy's house, someone they were known to not like, or they reached out on Facebook like a f- couple weeks earlier and made contact with someone they went to high school with like 20 years before. Smart. Or they go like double or three layers deep in the friendship circle on Facebook. So it would be like a friend of a friend of yours that I would go stay at. Someone I had never met, but I could trust because they were a good friend of a good friend of yours. That's crazy. They would never find me there. What show is that? Hunted, I think it was called. It was a reality show where they had to evade the police for like 60 days. And the police were tracking their phones. They had all the best FBI hunters on them. So they had security footage and everything. Yeah, it was was cool. It might have been a little staged because it was reality TV. So, yeah. But the house Nancy is staying at, Kathy's house is gorgeous. Yeah. We'll say it is beautiful house. So they bring the hit package to Nancy and they show it to her. There are maps of her house. There are pictures of her where she likes to shop. It is so thorough. It is so not the, like to me, did not seem like the work of Sam and Aaron, who are like the bumbling idiot robbers from Home Alone. It is (laughs) someone much more thorough, I feel like, put this hit package together. And in it is a picture of the family, the last picture they took of the four of them, and it's ripped in half. So it's just her, Nancy, and Madison, the daughter, the high school daughter. And to her, that to Nancy, that was the last straw. It was like someone said, these are the two people in the house, do whatever you want with them. The hit people, I don't think, were actually given permission to kill Madison, but there didn't seem to be a ton of concern, like, do not hurt Madison, the daughter. So there's handwriting on the package, and she says, that's my husband's handwriting. I'd know it anywhere. But it's not. Aaron says that he's never even met the husband or heard of the husband. It all came from the blonde on the beach. That's all he knows about. So we talked to Chris Latham again, who is excited for this divorce hearing to come up. He is shocked about this hit plot. He couldn't wait for the trial and for the divorce to happen. He is... Griffy, Griffy, I know, rich people have a lot of problems, and it's very upsetting. Griffy, so Chris is sun damaged, I felt like, and needed some sunscreen, and should get some of those spots checked out by a dermatologist. A peel, he needs a few few peels. 
Yes. Yeah. I want one. Yeah. I just read about them, and I want one. He would be a perfect candidate. So I don't think they have him in prison. If he's in prison, I'm not going to give it away. But Oh, I bet they do do acid peels in prison, but it's a whole different kind of acid. It's a whole different so, special thing. Yeah. So this gr- blonde on the beach is like a tall, willowy blonde in a 2001 Durango. Aaron remembers everything that she was wearing, which is I find kind of odd. He says that she paid for the burner phones and the motel room. She gave them $5,000 and a bottle of pills. They were supposed to scatter the pills around the body to confuse the cops. And then they meet at the beach. So first she goes to the motel, and then she goes again to the beach. They have, like, several meetups. Again, he remembers what she was wearing. And is that just because she's hot? I just felt like no guy would remember that specifically what someone was wearing, a woman. No, he might. He might be just one of those kind of guys. I, I mean, I liked Aaron. I feel like he does pay attention to details, even though he's totally on heroin. So they try to back this all up with footage. Right. So, and they actually, but they do. And they actually do. They find all this footage that backs up Aaron's story. They can show him going to deposit his check. They show her at this Walmart, because it is not a dateline without a Walmart, trying to buy these burner phones. They even have footage of her driving up to the motel in this Durango. And it's a 2001 Durango, which she said on the phone and he remembered. He has a great memory. So, yeah. Who is this mysterious blonde? Turns out her name is Wendy. And she used to be married to Sam slash Sammy. Aaron would recognize her anywhere because Sammy had her picture up on the prison wall. So they arrest Wendy. They have plenty of evidence linking her to this whole thing. So they arrest her. And they are standing at intake and she leans over to one of the agents and she says... I know you guys probably don't like me very much, but I could really use a hug, which is odd and not something that the agents had ever heard before. But they don't say if they hugged her, and I want to know if they hugged her. Oh, they don't. You're right. I think they probably didn't hug her, right? It's probably not protocol. But she's pretty. She's very pretty. They might have. She kind of works the, like, innocent, you know, sweet Christian, very pretty hot girl thing. So I think they might have caved and given her like a quick pat on the back. That's what I think. They did a quick pat on the back. So Wendy looks great in her mugshot. Say what you want about Wendy. Did she not look really, really pretty in her mugshot? That should be her new picture for everything. (laughs) Facebook profile. Yes. So she says, I am not who everyone's saying I am. I have had a hard life. I've overcome a sea of obstacles. She says, a lot of people had imaginary friends growing up. I had Jesus. She said she's lived 80 years in her 38 years of life. And she started being abused in sixth grade. And Keith is actually being very nice to her. He's being a real gentleman. She decides at age 17, the abuse is going to keep getting worse and I'm going to get raped. She doesn't really specify who is doing it or what's happening, but she knows she has to leave. So she leaves And she supports herself with a job. She's doing great in school until, oops, she gets pregnant. But she keeps going on. She rents a room. She supports herself. She buys herself a truck because that's what you do where she lives. It was just so funny. Like, it's so assumed that it will be a truck that you buy that she's like, I bought myself my own truck, as you do. She meets her neighbor, who is Sam slash Sammy. He is... He's a teenage dirtbag. I think he's really scary looking. He looks like if, honestly, when I look at him, I think violent. Really? Just by looking at him, I feel bad, but that's what I thought. I thought Hozier. 
the guy, the singer, but oh, okay, but okay. creepier. And he has this teenage dirtbag mustache uh-huh. that is so thin, and she finds him attractive because he's kind of a bad boy, but he doesn't really tell her how much of a bad boy he is. They get married and they have kids. And he's supporting them by selling drugs, but she does not know about this. And they full-on get the Sears photo family picture taken. She's a stay-at-home mom, except not for long, because he encourages her to become an exotic dancer to support the family. And she's crushed. She says it's a sin to do that. And he said, well, so is pride. Oh, good one. He's a master manipulator, and she's clearly been manipulated by guys her whole life. So she goes for it. She's crying. She says it. she did it to support the kids, but it's terrible. They start this Brooke and Wendy entertainment, and Brooke is lucky enough to get her face blurred out in the advertisement. Lucky girl. So they have high-end clientele. Do you really think it's high-end clientele that are coming to her house on the first floor? The kids are upstairs. They are downstairs and they get private strip shows. That was the worst. That that exotic dancing downstairs and living quarters upstairs. That was yeah. a sad description. Very sad. I was like, sad. that's not high-end clientele. No. That's dirtbags. No. And they have a bouncer to help them, I guess. So one night she wakes up and the house is on fire. And they have to scramble to the roof and get the kids out. Apparently Sam saw the bouncer coming out of the kids' bedroom and flipped out, stabbed the bouncer, and then started the fire. No, I think he stabbed him and set him on fire. I thought he set the fire to cover that he killed the bouncer. He set the bouncer on fire. In the house. Yes. So the outcome is the same. It's terrifying. Sam is really scary to me. From the minute they showed his picture, I said, nope. Listen, what if the bouncer was really coming out of the kid's bedroom? You can just stab him. I you can do one or the other. But I think he was already dead when he lit him on fire. So, so what? It's less scary to me than setting someone on fire alive. I have a feeling he set him on fire alive. That's possible. Listen, Sam does not have any sort of um, impulse control, which is why Aaron is so scared of him. Rightfully so. So he goes to jail, which is where he meets Aaron, and they form their like buddy cop duo thing, but of heroin addict bad guys. So Wendy gets her life back on track with her kids. She goes to Jerry Falwell's online university, because of course, and she earns two degrees there and uses, as Keith says, her considerable interpersonal skills, which is such shade, Keith. That does that he is, say that? Yes, he does. That's... Her considerable interpersonal skills. That's so shady. It That's is, bad. right? Keith, come on. She gets a job working for, of course, Chris Latham, the high-priced banker. She makes $60,000 a year being his assistant. But soon, the, the love of her life. Because he's going through this divorce and they fall for each other. She thinks that he is so kind and has a good faith in God. And Keith's face is priceless. His mouth is open and he is incredulous at this. He's just shocked. It is a simple misunderstanding that Wendy got involved in this, per Wendy. She says she just gave her sleazy ex-husband a phone and a motel room. He needed money. He came into town. He had lost his wallet and his phone, and they were supposed to buy their daughter a car. So he just said, called her, and she's like, oh, I got to deal with my sleazy ex. Here's some money and a phone. That's all she had to do with it. Then she starts to say that maybe Sam did this all by himself which he's never met Nancy or Chris, 
But apparently, when the divorce was getting really rough, Wendy says that her brake lines had been cut on her car. And it really freaked her out. And her daughters used that car. And so she thought maybe Sam got so overprotective again, like he did with the bouncer, that he went after Nancy, who possibly had slit the brake lines, although there's zero proof of that. But Wendy did give him the hit package with all the info in it. And Keith says, I'm puzzled, and if you could enlighten us on this. And she says, no, I'm not willing to talk about that at all. So we're not getting anything out of her for that. So she's languishing in jail and being the religious gal that she is. She's thinking about Joseph being locked up. And it turned out to be good for his family, even though he was innocent. And I think I only know what she's talking about because of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat when he sings close every door to me <laughs> and he's in prison it's very sad so that's her she's joseph but she the cell phone shows she went to the beach she bought the room she bought the phones and she did some of that stuff with the money that she gave to her ex under a fake name which is i don't know why so like why would you use an alias when you're buying a car for your daughter and then they search her computer and they find items from the hit packet that she had printed at her desk at work. They get a search warrant, and what do you know, her computer and her printer are missing from the office. That's weird, but they can still look on the, like, the server and find out that all of these instructions were printed from her desk about what to do. And even some of the handwriting comes back as hers. So, but why did she do it? Did she do it to keep Chris's alimony money all to herself? Or did she do it because Chris was telling her to do it? They don't know. But then, as Keith Morrison says, then manna from heaven, there it comes. Which is, again, such a sick burn to Wendy, who's, like, super religious, to exactly. say that this evidence against her is manna from heaven that's coming down. Really, it's footage of them, audio recording of them on their jail phone. He's saying, Chris is saying, I can't wait to ravish you. I'm telling you there'll be a plan. I'm going to do everything I can. Meanwhile, the summer sweat bathed the citizens of Charleston as Nancy's blood boiled. Because Nancy is scared there's going to be another hitman coming. Because Chris could right. certainly afford to hire just a replacement hitman. No big deal. But he's under constant surveillance. So the attorneys and the, you know, security, they don't think that she's in real danger. She try she sues both Chris and Wendy, inserts herself into this case even further, which kind of muddies the investigation that they were doing because they wanted to nail Chris and they had to get it right since he is such a high up guy in that community. Aaron now says that it was his handwriting on the hit pack. Chris's computer, however, shows that the map printouts and searches for the maps around the home were all done from his computer, from his specific printer, and now his printer also goes missing. Then these phone calls at prison keep happening, keep going on, and they're kind of creepy because it, it really becomes clear that he's pretty much taking every precaution to keep her close to him so that she doesn't go off the wall. He wants to keep control of the situation and keep her story on track. That's what I think he's doing. Yeah, he promises they're going to get married. Exactly. And then she keeps saying things like, I just can't wait for it to be just you, me, and Jesus. <laughs> He she's says, me. he says, just you and me together. And she's like, just you, me and Jesus. And he's like, oh, right. Yeah. Je Jesus. Not her kids. Jesus will be there, too. Yeah. Not the yeah. kids. Totally doesn't mention the kids. Just, just Jesus. Yeah. Um, now, I'm I'm a Jew, as we've discussed. But did they change the rules in the New Testament about killing? 
Or is that like still, that's still a no-no, right? Killing's fine now. Killing's fine now. I just didn't get the memo. Okay, good to know. (laughs) So then I guess the big bomb was dropped when a photo taken on his actual iPhone shows up in the hit packet. It's one of the pictures. I think it's of the garage. It's her and the cars in the garage. Yes. So finally, on August 6th in 2013, at his Lake Lake Mountain house, wherever he vacations, Chris is arrested. On Nancy's birthday. Yeah, like a day before Nancy's birthday. So his booking is on her birthday or something like that. Best birthday present she ever got. And now Chris and Wendy are in the same jail. They're just one floor apart, but they can't see each other. It's so romantic. It's like Romeo and Juliet. It's the Capulets (laughs) and the Montagues. They cannot see each other. And you can just imagine them like banging on pipes, trying to talk to each other through the walls or something, have their dirty dirty sex talk. Like Ravish You is banging on the pipe. It's gross. The dirty sex talk is so much worse because you know how much she talks about God. She talks about Jesus and God every other sentence. So you know she's doing that to him. She says, I can't wait to lie with you like Rachel did with her husband. (laughs) Like she's got, you know, they're full log Esther and she's equating herself because that's the part that got me the worst is that she said she spent her time in prison taking comfort in Bible stories about unjust imprisonment and women and the whole makes me really uncomfortable. She gives Christians a really bad name and I don't think she knows she's doing it. Well, I think she thinks she's like, what's her name? Mary Magdalene. You know, she was a stripper, but with a heart of gold. And then she redeems herself. And now she's this pious woman, except with this married man and a a murder plot involved in it. So So we got two of the Ten Commandments. Two out of ten. She's just knocking them out just one by one. So Chris says he never saw the hit packet. Any information from the hit packet that came from him was ammo for the divorce proceedings that he was sending to his lawyer. So he's kind of implying the lawyer did it or someone on the lawyer's staff like intercepted it. It's it makes no sense. And Keith even says like magically it wound up in the hitman's hands and he does these little jazz hands when he says the word <laughs> magically and I really enjoyed it. Then Chris says that people have access to his printer which went right over my head until someone on Twitter was like, you're the highest paid banker in Charleston at Bank of America and other people have your passwords for your computer and can print things. That, that does not make any sense. That, that makes seemed, no sense. That's, that's terrible security for Bank of America. So right. he does not think Wendy did it. He said she had she wanted the divorce. She wanted it to be over with. What's in it for her? And Keith is like, well, what's in it for her is money. and, and But then he's apply, implying that someone else at the company did it. And what's in it for them? If there's nothing in it for Wendy, why would some random person at B of A want to set him yeah. up for it? What's in it for them? They get a promotion? Maybe they, they wanted his job? <laughs> yeah. They want the highest person on the food chain to fall so everybody Everyone moves get, up. Everyone moves up. I see. It was see. a huge conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> they were all in huge. it together. Everyone from the mail room up. So <laughs> they both wanted the trial to happen because he thought he would win and not have to pay any alimony. Mm. He's so, like, soft-spoken and has this light southern accent. And did it not just want to make you punch him right in the face? Yeah, it the did. And his, he's soft. His whole appearance is it's soft. soft. It's like smushy face, yes. sort of soft hair, soft body. Nah, yes. I'm, get out of here. So punchable. So He's a marshmallow robe. Yes, 
That's gross. That's so uh, you don't want to wear him, though. He no. thinks that Sam started it and comes up with this BS excuse. And Keith is, like, lost. Keith is like, this makes <laughs> zero sense to me why Sam would start this whole thing. But we'll never know because it gets really sad, except not really because you never really got to know Sam. Sam or Sammy, upset about how people were calling him Sammy when his name was Sam and he wanted to be taken seriously, hanged himself in his prison cell. And he leaves a note for his girlfriend that says, I love you, Ray Ray. Who's Ray Ray? We never get to meet Ray Ray. (laughs) She did not sign a disclosure agreement and did not want to be on Dateline. I don't blame her. He says, I'm finally free. So 10 months after Aaron is arrested, the trial gets started, which seemed like really fast, right? Usually yeah, in a lot of these years. cases, we have 12 years. Yes. Like, who knows? Like, it's years and years. But yeah, you're right. It seemed fast. Yes. Wendy is up for four conspiracy charges and Chris is up for three. The prosecutors know they have enough to get Wendy, but they're not sure about Chris because he is this pillar of the community, even though eight of the 11 pages in the hit packet can be traced directly back to his phone, his computer, or his printer. But then we get more info in that they, you, Chris and Wendy are talking on this these phones on at the jail cell, eight calls a day, 15 minutes each, which Crazy. to me, you know how much I hate talking on the phone. I would rather be in jail than talk to someone that much on the phone. Put me in jail so I don't have to talk to you. It's the soup phone calls too. Did you, what do you have mean? soup? Oh God! (laughs) Did you have crackers with your soup? What else did they serve at the commissary? Did you get a cup of noodle? It is. My friends that did that, they might be listening to this podcast. I'm so sorry. Well, did they get married? All these years, yes, they did. Well, then they'll think it's funny. They have three children, but they used to have the most boring conversations after just seeing each other. He would walk to his apartment two blocks away call to say he got home then call to say what he had for dinner and she'd ask him if he like crumbled crackers in the soup it was i wanted to die so you know it's terrible because nothing is happening in this jail yet they're calling each other eight times a day but this is kind of good what we find out we find out through this these codes that they start using that chris is paying for sam's lawyer which is was so shocking to me what possible excuse could he have for that they never ask him, but it makes no sense. Sam and Wendy refer to Sam's lawyer as Bluegrass, and they say things like, Bluegrass needs another Benjamin, a 5-0, a Hawaii 5-0, like $50,000. Like, when did they come up with these codes? It's Both, not a very good code. It's not. And when did they discuss this, like, when watching Dateline, when they were planning things? Ahead of time, if they got caught, they were both arrested separately. I do not know when they came up with these codes, but you know they think they're being really cool. Upper middle class white people thinking they're being so gangster by using codes in prison. And they're... Also, are you, a, are you a little surprised that they didn't use Bible verses? <laughs> I was a little surprised. I was, I, would you think that was too much for her? Was that the line? John 3.16. For God so loved the Benjamins. That it's something, you know, I wonder if that was the line for her, though. That she was like, we cannot use God as our code. If they were smart, they would have. So in court, Aaron is the star witness. He tells them everything, and he loves staring at Chris's smug face. Like, he's punching him with the words that we want to punch him with our fists because he's so smug and annoying. And Aaron, the heroic heroin addict, is totally getting to just be like, F you, dude, because he tells them everything. And Chris's attorneys, 
you would think he'd have like really rich, like really slimy attorneys. His attorney's name is Steve Schmutz. <laughs> yes. Which is like schmutz, kind of. Like you have a little schmutz on your jacket there. Schmutz. It is. A or bit, is it like putz? Yeah. I don't know. It's just not great. So he says that the alimony would have not even put a dent in his, this is where we find out, $650,000 a year salary. The codes, uh, we keep getting more of these codes on the jailhouse phone calls. Like Wendy says, is everything still good? And Chris says, the house is secure. They really just have watched, maybe they watched The Wire together or something. Yeah, it's something. Then it goes to a preview, and Nancy is saying that she just started sobbing. So you think, oh my gosh, like, does he get away with it? Is that what happened? But Dateline totally tricks us again because the jurors go away to deliberate, and she starts crying just because she can't handle the stress of it. So she cries while they're deliberating. Dateline, stop these previews. Trickery. So the jurors do not like Wendy, the uber-Christian. They think she is fake. They do not understand why she used an alias to buy a car for the daughter. And one of the names that was under under the alias is apparently a famous porn star's name. However, I will say on Twitter, someone said that the name of a local weather girl in Nashville, where she's from, has that same name, which is kind of just as bad to me. Because I kind of feel like she had dreams of becoming a weather girl and Chris had promised her that he was going to make it happen. Oh, and that she could be probably a, right. Right? A Charleston weather girl. No, and you're she, totally right. They'd be like the toast of the town, the banker and the weather girl. Yes. Right? It's just yeah. as bad. It's just as bad that it's the weather girl and not the porn star. So mm. most of the jurors believe that Chris is in on it all the way, but that he was the only one smart enough to like keep his fingerprints off of the whole thing. Except not really, because all of it traced back to his computer and his phone and all of that. So right. they, I don't know how long it takes them, but they do agree eventually on what they can agree on. They don't agree on everything, but they find Wendy guilty on all counts and Chris guilty of one out of the three counts. But that's enough to send him to prison for a while, like 10 years, and end his banking career. So that's pretty good. And Chris is now in prison, and he says, it is a terrible nightmare you can't wake up from. Nancy and both daughters beg for the maximum amount of time. And also both of the daughters change their last names back to Nancy's maiden name, which I thought was that's really great. cool. Yeah. That's really cool. Madison, the youngest daughter, is like, you lost the right, the privilege to be my dad when you had my name in that hit package. Yeah, had her picture. When my photo wound up in there, no, you're done. And Wendy is going to be in there for 15 years, but she still has faith in their love. She thinks that Chris is her soulmate. She says she's never met anyone better than him, to which I say, wow, she has only met some really crappy people in her life. Yeah. Chris is in there for 10 years, so there's like a five-year difference. And so she's saying, we're still going to get married. We are in this together. He's my soulmate. They cut immediately to Keith asking Chris, can you hold a candle for that long? And Chris is like, I'm not going to comment on the future. (laughs) It's it's such an F you again to poor little Wendy. Oh, my God. The editors, they put them back to back. It is so harsh. (laughs) She's like pouring her heart out. I love him. He's the best person I've ever met. And he's like, I don't know what the future holds. She's okay. She's (laughs) She's okay. I'm not going to say. I don't want to commit to anything right now. 
I'm getting some new prospects here in jail, so things might change. I don't know. Oh, um, oh, it's so good. good. The best part is when they, the way they end the episode, Aaron is in prison for four years, which is so long considering how little he did and that he saved her life. Guarantee you it's more because he was already on probation. It's a gun charge taking right, the gun across right. straight li- right. state lines. It's all that stuff. It's not because of this. Yeah. But how much would he have gotten if he actually killed her? What, I mean, The chair? <laughs> well, yeah, maybe. You're right. So maybe four years is really good for him. I, yeah. hope, I hope he cleans up in prison because I do think he's a nice guy. She goes to visit him, Nancy, and she had actually testified and begged for leniency for his case. And she hugs him and says she can't thank him enough for saving her life. And her kids have their mom. And he's crying and they hug again. And he says he can't believe how gracious she's being. And it is so, so sweet. And then we find out that after Nancy gets her divorce, she totally switches career paths. And becomes a stand-up comedian. This is not a joke. She is fully doing stand-up in Charleston. (sighs) And is like, hey, are there any divorced people out there? I'm divorced too. And divorce can be messy, let me tell you. This is what I think. I kept thinking she would say things like, my husband and I broke up because we had irreconcilable differences. I wanted to be alive and he wanted me to be dead. But um, but and then and I thought I was so clever, and then I realized I had totally stolen that from Chicago the Musical. Yeah, he had it coming that song, and then I felt not as clever. But I do feel like she has like lots of good material now for this. Maybe she could do a whole bit on Keith, how she thought they were gonna like make out because she was flirting with him the whole time. I don't know what she. I hope she really gets into it and doesn't just go, "Yeah, we got divorced. It was messy." I don't know. Do do people like? go to see her shows in Charleston because they saw her on Dateline now, do you think? Maybe, but I I think more than that, she should have written a book. I think she probably should have just written a book. Yeah. And put all of her funny material in that. I think hopefully she'll just stick to that because I think that's easier, an easier road than a stand-up comedian. Audiences can be hard. If someone reads your book and don't like it, they don't Mm -hmm. necessarily tell you. Hey, she had a hit out on her. I think she can handle some like groans and boos from an audience. Yeah, she's got tough skin now. Do you have any alternative titles for this episode? I, I have so many. Oh, my God. I have. Mine are terrible, the... so let me just give you my one that I came up okay, with. Okay, go. Is Jesus take the wheel and drive me the hell away from these people. That's actually pretty good. That's all I got. <laughs> That's really good. I only had one Jesus one. I said Jesus saves, just not you. And then <laughs> I did withdrawal because I felt like it had double oh, meanings. Oh, that's nice. Of Heroin withdrawal, but I feel like heroin, heroin is is really good. good. Yeah, I had something. What was it? It was something. Charleston, the case of the min- missing printers. It was better than that. I just can't <laughs> remember it. And then I had the wrong end of America Street, which we came up with here. Mm-hmm. And then also really quick, why the heck was Wendy driving a two thousand one Durango? If he makes $650,000 a year, why is she in a 2001 Durango? This all takes place in like 2013. Yeah, that was weird. Because she was saving her money for her kids and her fancy wardrobe. She dressed fairly nicely. It was all like Ann Taylor Loft. But he didn't buy her a car? Because I don't think he loved her as much as he said he did. He so did not. No, he was trying to keep her under his thumb. 
But we'll Oof. get there's another interesting car thing later that when we get to Twitter, I'll ask you about. So that's well, interesting twi- to note. Well, first, MVPs. Do you have any MVPs? No, I'm embarrassed to say. Who was your MVP? I had so many. I thought Aaron, because it was one of those rare cases when the heroin addict is the heroin addict hitman is more likable than everyone else in the episode. It's true. And I thought Brooke, the girl in the escort service who whose face got blurred out, she really won this episode. <laughs> and also Officer Wilson from the beginning, because he could have easily dismissed Aaron and Bethany and not believed them. And he totally did. And he saved the life because of it. He could have easily said he's on drugs. Forget it. Lock him up. So wait, Rusty the dog did not make your list. No, because again, I missed all of that because I think I watched an edited version. Rusty's on my list. Rusty's my MVP. That's it. I saw nothing. Oh, that's it. Rusty, that's a good one. Rusty Um, will be mine. He's mine because you got everyone else. And then who's your loser? My loser was Sam because I was terrified of him from the beginning. My loser was Sam more because, not that I was scared of him, because we never got to meet him. And he just sounded so crazy and like dirty over the phone. He just sounded yeah, just Yeah, he was gross. not okay. Yes. Violent. Just, ugh. Did you have any alternate theories? I did. Theory. Nancy set up the whole thing, set them up for it, framed him and the mistress for the money and for the material for her stand-up career, basically. <laughs> That's why she did it. That's excellent. Did you no, have it? No. No, um, now I'm really thinking about the B of A thing. I like the B of A angle a lot. You think it was like all the way down the line? Company wide. It was B company. Mm-hmm. This was a company wide decision that we needed to get the head pig out and all the little pigs move up. Right. All the little pigs get roast beef. They, d- they discussed it at like a company picnic. Or one of those big fancy gala dinners. They were like, you guys, Chris is driving me crazy. And you know he's sleeping with his secretary. So let's get him out. And we're just going to frame yeah. him for murder. I think it starts with two guys. And they're like, we're so sick of him using our company stuff for his divorce. <laughs> him he's using, using all printer. of the printer ink on his divorce proceedings. He's using full color copies. He's using paper clips and brads and binder clips. And he has more dulled the the shredder with his shredding documents. It's unacceptable. So the HR people were like, or no, whoever does like supply control was like, no. Furious. The office manager. The office manager. Yeah, okay. The office manager, someone from accounts receivable and someone from (laughs) HR got together and like had margaritas and it started as a joke and then it got really serious. This is a good screenplay, by the way. Copyright date with Dateline. 528 2017 i'm just gonna copyright that right now so don't steal it we're gonna do it okay so what's twitter say i want to know what people thought so many good twitters all right what we got what we got on tweets ben staples says is there anything google can't find is that under the shopping tab (laughs) i was like yes it totally is under the shopping tab right you would totally go under shopping Yes, I know. Bumblebeeb says, again with affairs. It's Friday night. I'm exhausted. Can't get off the couch and haven't had any affairs. Where do they get the energy? I agree completely. <laughs> Where are they getting the energy to plan murders and do affairs? Bird, bird, bird says, you get a whole different kind of ad in your Facebook feed after you Google where to find heroin. <laughs> 
Joey Amazon says, just like baseball fantasy camp, there should be a fantasy dateline where you pick a narrator to tell your fake story. Maybe a $500 fee. What do you think? Could that not be a good business, right? That's good. I like it. I like it. Jason Weintraub said, pretty sure murder plots don't just go away, Aaron. Not like plans you made three weeks ago happily, but don't want to go to the day of. But it would be so so good if they did square <laughs> square bear says jones in for dope is that keith talking or my mom i <laughs> keith is like a- no that moment i wrote it down because he is so disappointed and i wrote would you rather disappoint keith <laughs> or your dad <laughs> he was jones in for dope he does it in the most disappointed dad voice i've ever heard it's the worst <laughs> Uh, uh, Christina Williams says, Agent Boykin, may I have a cavity search? Did you <gasps> find Agent Boykin attractive? He was I thought kind of Agent cute. Boykin was great. He was yeah. one of my, I, he was actually on my MVP list. I, I liked, liked Agent him. Boykin. So they put some pictures up of the hit package and in it, it says, Nancy Latham drives maroon Honda Accord. What? going Why? on seriously they're the That's people the in their car cars thing. are not correct what well, it is not correct she is a real estate agent working for the lottery commission her husband is the highest paid banker in town and she's driving a honda accord she should be driving a bentley right of course yes yeah. at least a lexus or something but this goes with the whole thing because their first date he pulls up in a convertible which <laughs> they, they make to- a point of and they <laughs> yeah. go to applebee's and they it's to really applebee's. confusing we're t- i can't so maybe all these fancy debutante things that they were talking about were actually at applebee's and not as fancy as she talked about so they must hire like a car service to go to these parties because she can't go in her honda accord no he's got a car oh i yeah. guarantee you he's got a few cars but and she's, she's just mm. i'm a know. mom i'm getting the okay Maybe to be a real estate agent, she wanted to, like, appear down to earth. I don't know. Alicia Chica says, I'm going to start calling anything I have in a manila envelope a hit package. And I decided I was going to also. It's going to start on Tuesday at work. And I've already been talking to people at my job about exciting new possible career opportunities and new job things on the horizon. But I'm going to be really like sly about it and just not mention it. But I'm going to be carrying around these manila envelopes that say hit package on them. Michael Soretto says, if a redneck gets brought in and doesn't ask for a lawyer, is Dateline immediately called? (laughs) parker simpson says nancy's daughter mom there's two cops here nancy let me guess they want to have sex with me (laughs) that is such a nancy joke is that not he also says michael scaretto says a hit package sounds like a porno or a jason statham movie square (laughs) square bear says wealthy people can't can, can't take out hits the easy way. They have to include directions through the gated community, too. Hashtag challenges of being wealthy today. Will Richardson said, do you have blue eyes? You might be involved in this one. Okay, several people on Twitter commented that, like, the entire cast had blue eyes tonight. Really? Yes. Oh, that's weird. I did not notice. They were like, oh, another person with blue eyes. Oh, my God, I can't stop looking at this person's eyes. Did I did not notice. Did you notice? That's weird. No, but when I think about it, Boykin, Aaron, Nancy, Wendy. Yeah, all of them. Yeah. Chris. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, boy. The blue-eyed bunch. Okay. New title. New title. Rebecca Crook said, Sammy doesn't have quite the mustache we are accustomed to here. I agree. It really was, was disappointing. 
Let's see. Uh, Jason Weintraub says, Chris, don't ever use Ravish during phone sex. This isn't Vampire Diaries. George, <laughs> uh, George nice Albert said, Alexa, I need a backup hitman. Adam Swiderski oh. says, the printer is the real victim here. Both printers. Swiderski we've heard from before. Yes. Raina says, says, just you, me, and Jesus. Wait, doesn't she have kids? So I'm glad someone exactly. else noticed that. But Bird, Bird, Bird says, people who use the word proprietary are, at a minimum, guilty of being an asshole. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know who said that, but... Okay, and then this was another one that I did not notice. Ron says, Nancy Latham. Who calls their ex by their full name? Apparently, Chris called her Nancy Latham at least once, which is very weird, right? Wouldn't oh, you just say Nancy? He's oh, really mad like at her. Oh, it's like a full name thing? Katrina, Jesus is somewhere in heaven saying he does not know any of these people. <laughs> Erica Fisher says, Wendy, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, new phone, who this? <laughs> Jace, Jason Weintraub, eight calls a day. Even if Jesus was part of my relationship, I don't know if I want to talk to him that much. Oh, man. Paulette Simone, what could they have been talking about eight times a day? They're both in jail. Nothing new is happening. That's true. I've watched that jailhouse show 60 Days In. They literally sleep half the day. There's nothing Soup. to talk about. Soup. And they eat cup of noodles all day long. That's what yes. they're talking about. They're like, Soup. I found a new packet of shrimp flavored. Like, it's going to be something. Yeah. Spicy lime. Adam Swiderski said, I hope Nancy and Aaron end up together. Because I think I don't think Bethany is waiting for him. I think they had a real connection, and she he could raise her two kids, oh her my two God. girls, and they could have a puppy together. And he would come to her stand up and stand in the back and like cheer her on. No, <laughs> come on, be so great. That can... would be so great, right? Also, Adam Swiderski is my Twitter MVP. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, except Alicia, Alicia Chico had another one. She said, okay. and there's the twist. Nancy is a comedian. Didn't see that one coming, Dateline. <laughs> that is totally what they should have done the preview up to. And you'll never believe what happened next. A change in the life that Nancy had always known. Like it would have been this whole thing. Dun, dun, dun. And then she became a comedian because it really shocked all of us. Yeah, we didn't see that one coming. Um, what did you rate this episode? I gave this episode a 4.2. I liked it. I, I, I don't know. It was too. fun to have a break from murder. Yeah. Yes, that's true. I mean, it wasn't a total break because they were discussing it, but there was no body. So you didn't have to. F well, no, there was Sam. What are we talking about? Sam There was died. Sam. I okay. gave it a 4.5, even though I had already seen it before. I really, really? enjoyed it. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. I really liked this Aaron and I really wanted to feel badly for Wendy and didn't as much as I probably should have. If she hadn't talked about Jesus so much, it would have been a lot easier to like yeah. her. Yeah. If she had cooled her jets on the Christianity thing, because you're in prison now for trying to kill someone. Yeah. Stop talking about Jesus so much. He don't know who you are. So <laughs> new phone, who dis? So, new phone, who dis? Um, that is all. Do we have anything else to add? Please follow us on Twitter. Please follow us on Twitter at Date Dateline and on Instagram, Date Dateline. And our website is a 
Google a date with Dateline podcast and you'll find us. But tweet at us. It's fun. And we'll read your tweet on the show, maybe, if it's funny. That's all we have to say. <laughs> Don't watch alone.